Good morning, Calvary. So I am Jim Babbage. I'm blessed to be an elder here at Calvary and also blessed to read the uh, text that Tim is going to be teaching us from this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be uh, learning out of Luke 3, verses 7 through 14. So I'm going to give you a second so you can turn there. I love the, the sound of Bible pages turning. It's, I know it's music to God's ears. All right, so Luke 3, 7 through 14. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. So just a quick uh, word of advice. When Eric comes to you and says, would you like to teach on February 5th? Uh, read the passage before you say yes, because <laughs> you might be teaching this. Uh, we're going to start off with a little game to lighten things up just a bit, because uh, this is, there's a lot going on in this passage. And so here's how it works. I'm going to uh, make uh, say a phrase, and I'm going to stop, and you're going to finish it. So you need to finish it quickly and out loud. So shout out the answers that come to you as I read these phrases. Okay, you guys ready? All right, here we go. Uh, eating lots of carrots is really good for your... Oh. Bagpipes come from... Uh -oh. Small children shouldn't drink coffee because it... Oh. If you want to go swimming after eating a big lunch, wait at least, whoa, hour, 30 minutes, 15 seconds. Um, if you're in Australia and you flush the toilet, it goes the other direction. Don't crack your knuckles because it will give you Whoa, okay. Okay, for all you Star Wars fans, Darth, uh, Darth Vader's most famous line in Star Wars is Luke. <laughs> so here's my question. Are you sure? Are you sure about your answers that you just gave? It might be worth a Google. 
I was shocked as I answered all of those wrong. And probably so did you. So here's the thing is like when you find out you're wrong, how do you respond? Who just says, I do not like being wrong? He says, I am rarely wrong, <laughs> right? Um, when we find out that we are wrong about something, uh, we, you know, have these mindsets that we've developed towards life. We have these, these ways of doing things that we become convinced of, and we find out maybe that we're wrong about them, and we might argue our point, argue our side. That's a natural thing to do. We insist on our point of view. No, I am right because I am your father, right? Like, I am right because I am your mother. Like, we, we insist on our point. We excuse the reason why we think we do the, the way we do. We just make excuses. Or maybe we can repent. Repenting is not just turning direction and changing what you do, but it's also changing your mind. It's also changing your mind about something. It can be mundane and simple. It can be complex and significant. It can be about food. It can be about God. The changing of our mind, the repenting, can happen in many different ways. I'm going to share three different ways that I have repented over the years. They go from the mundane to, in my opinion, the significant. This is my first level of repentance. <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Hated them, didn't want anything to do them. Why would God make tiny cabbages? Because big cabbages taste bad enough. <laughs> like, I wanted nothing to do with Brussels sprouts. Over the years, what have I discovered? Brussels sprouts are delicious if you find someone who can cook them correctly. And so now when I go to a place, who, who, who like regularly like seeks out Brussels sprouts on the menu at a good restaurant? You're like, those things are, who still says avoid them like the plague? Never, ever, because they're green. Okay, next thing that I have found myself repenting about. Recycling, taking care of the earth. Honestly, and I'm kind of ashamed by this, my old view was it's all gonna burn anyway. And that was coming from a religious mindset. It's all going to burn anyway. Why fight to take care of the earth? And then I was reminded by loving people that when we were first created as humans, our role was to represent God and take care of the earth and help it to thrive. I don't believe that that has dissipated, that that is no longer our role as humans. We still represent God to this earth. He loves it. He called it good. I believe we should care about it. So now, instead of just dumping everything in one can or just literally, at times, throwing stuff on the ground, now I seek to try to do my part so that there's less of this in the ocean that I love to surf in, and that's a clean and beautiful place third area that I have found myself repenting of. This one's big. It has to do with obedience versus love. I was convinced for so much of my life that God's primary 
the thing that mattered to him most was that I obey him. And I have repented of that. I have changed my mind about that because I believe that the thing that matters most to him is that I understand and believe that he really loves me. Because if I just obey, I can modify my behavior. And you can be obedient without love. But if I experience God's love for me and I am changed by it, I will want to obey. And it will be something that I desire to do, not something I have to do. And so that has been a long path towards that. And it's still, for some of you, is like, ooh, I don't know if I agree or like that. And that's the beauty of living lives as long as we do, is we get to repent change our mind about many, many things. And so I want to encourage you that maybe this morning is a morning where some repentance can take place. And I don't know what it's going to be about. But my guess is that we have made up our minds about certain things. And my guess is in that in our limited knowledge and our limited understanding of the world and the limited amount of time that we've lived, that we still have things to learn. And so may we come with attitudes of acceptance rather than attitudes that just have walls built around what we already believe. It's interesting because John the Baptist is in this process, right? He's in this process of preparing the road, preparing the way for Jesus to come. He is trying to make way, make ready the hearts of the people that are about to encounter the living God and the way that he says life should be lived. That's a, that's a, tough, that's a tough call, right? That's a tough challenge. That's a tough assignment to receive, to make clear, to pave the roads so that when Jesus arrives, people are ready to receive his ways, and his teaching. I mean, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I am like, like, have already decided to follow Jesus, and I still struggle at times to embrace the ways of Jesus because it was so countercultural to this world we live in and the places I find my heart going. When John prepares the way for the Lord, it means that he is helping people to have a humble submission before God when he comes. That they will humbly be ready to respond to Jesus. It's interesting, when John started speaking and he's baptizing people out in the, out in the wilderness, different groups of people came to him. I kind of labeled them, made them into like four different categories. I, I category in one is the first responders. These are the ones that are out there right when they find out. They know they need a Messiah. They know they need to repent. They are ready to change. I'm here. I'm available. Let's go. Let's do this. Baptize me. I believe. Then I think there were the curious. Huh, this is interesting. I like this. Oh, oh I don't. Wow, maybe I'll give that a chance. Huh, anything else to say? Maybe I should get back. What, what would it look like if I actually repented? This is fascinating. Then I think they were the doubters. <laughs> Convince me. 
I don't know. I'm, I, if you can answer these four questions, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll repent. Ah, look at you. You have a giant beard. You smell like a camel. All you offer snacks was like locusts and honey. Like, what's going on, John? I, I don't know if I buy in, but I'm not saying no. And then you have the opponents. I have no interest in repenting. I have no interest in being changed. I have no interest in what you have to say. In fact, I am here to disprove what you have to say. I'm here to subvert your message. I'm here to help those who are first responders to become non-responders. I'm antagonistic to what you are saying. This Sunday morning, across churches all around the world, there are these four types of people in churches. There's all four types of people in this church right now. Some of you are first responders. You're ready. I know I need help. I know I need Jesus. I am desperate for whatever he has for me. Some are curious. Oh, this is interesting. I'll come. I'll listen. I'll give it a chance. Some of you doubters. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I'm checking it out. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you one chance. This preacher better be good. <laughs> and then there are probably some opponents here. You have your mind made up. You're not interested in changing at all. And you'll come up to me after my message and tell me the three things I said wrong and how I need to change. Happens every time I teach, by the way. And so... My hope is that we can find ourselves honestly identifying where we're at as we get into this. John is engaged with all these people, and he chooses primarily to hit up that last group first in our passage. It says, when the crowds came for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee of the coming wrath? It's a pretty harsh statement. Brood of vipers is another. I kind of even like that better, right? It's like, you guys are poison, and you're dangerous, and you're here to bring harm. The idea was that there was probably a sect of the religious uh, the religious people, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the like, there's a sect of them that was sent out to specifically pick apart and report upon that what John was saying so that they could find out how they can arrest him, how they can get rid of him. And John, like God, saw through the ruse. Because by showing up, they were technically saying, we are interested in this message, and we are interested in repentance. But John knew that they weren't. Just like God knows where we're at, even if we don't. And John says, no, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out because if you're really going to repent, you can't just show up here and get a pass. You can't get the stamp on your car just by showing up. He says in verse 8, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins 
and turned to God. Don't, so prove by the way you live that you have repented. I think that there are so many times in my life where I, I've said I'm sorry, and like the people in my life have said, I'm not interested in your apology, I'm interested if you change or not. And then you're like, ugh, because I know I'm probably not going to change, but I am sorry. <laughs> Anyone been there? They're like, I'm sorry that I keep doing the thing I'm probably going to keep doing. And God's like, if you're going to repent, prove it by the way you live. He's talking to these scribes, these Pharisees, these people. Prove by the way you live that you are a follower of God and his ways, that you are repenting of these things. You see, their hearts were really struggling to let God do what he wants. Their hearts weren't ready to receive the kingdom of, of God that was at hand. See, John knew the message of Jesus, right? The message of Jesus, the, the first shall be last, right? The, the whoever wants to save their life must lose it. The ways of Jesus are so difficult to embrace. And so he's, John's like saying, I'm just trying to soften up the ground so that it is not rock hard when the message comes, so that when the seeds, the word of Jesus comes, it doesn't, doesn't bounce off, but it lands in good soil. Jesus was bringing a new way of living, doing new things. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I don't believe that God is done doing new things. I don't believe that God is done moving in ways that are going to continue to draw the world to him in ways that he hasn't moved before. I believe that Jesus celebrates what has been done at this church over 80 plus years, 90 plus years, oh my goodness, right? But he's a, I have new things for you, Calvary. I have more. And are our hearts ready? Are they receptive? Are they going to embrace the new things of Jesus, or are we going to hold them at arm's length and say, no, 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 that's not how God works. God doesn't do that. God doesn't move that way. He only moves, he only moves in these ways, because that is exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes thought. I don't know about if you know this, but I was, I was on my way to becoming a little Pharisee as a kid. I had everything lined up, right? Jim Reese, you know, like he, he was my children's ministry director here at Calvary. I got a one-pound Hershey candy bar because I could say the books of the Old Testament backwards. I got a lot of candy when I was a kid because I have a short-term memory that works. 
That's the reason I'd walk home with a pile of Kit Kats. Mr. Duffy would always give us a Kit Kat for every new verse we said. I learned a lot of verses for a lot of Kit Kats. And I was coming from this pedigree of, of people, right? If you look here, these are my great-grandparents, the good nurse, and there's my grandmother in the, in the middle, and there's my dad, three generations. The good nurse started teaching Sunday school here back in the 30s. My grandparents went uh, as the second missionary sent out by Calvary 1938. My parents, there's my dad. I got his hair. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. My parents have gone here. Um, since when? 1969, they started coming here. I'm here. And my son's here. And you know what I thought that meant? Especially when I was uh, volunteering when I was like 19. I thought it meant that I didn't need to go to membership class. I should be an honorary member automatically. <laughs> That's what I thought it meant. Membership at the time was six weeks straight in a row, hour and a half each one. So those of you who are interested in being members, you get a free lunch, it's like two hours. <laughs> Do it now before times change. And I just remember, I, 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 just, I, I, I just should, should automatically receive. And it's so interesting because John calls these people out. Here's one more picture, just for fun. Here's what John says. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Imagine, imagine that you are in need of life-saving surgery. You will die in six months if you do not get it. Guaranteed. And the surgeon says, okay, we have to do some stuff to prepare you for this surgery. You need to change your diet for the next six months. Cut out A, B, C, D, and E, and you're left with nothing that you like <laughs> or want to eat. And you must go through this process three times a week and receive this and, and, and engage in this thing that's going to make you feel bad. Maybe like radiation. Maybe this is what some of you are currently going through. Right? In order for you to become operable, you have to do it. What proves that you believe that you need and want this surgery? What will prove it? If you change your diet and if you show up to every appointment. That proves that you're interested. Imagine if you said, you know what, Doc, that sounds interesting, that sounds fun, um, but you don't understand. 
I have great genetics. Like, my great-grandfather lived to 96. My grandfather lived to 101. I'm just going to rely on my genetics to get me through this one. Who says, that's foolish? Right? If you didn't raise your hand, FYI, that's foolish. <laughs> it's foolish to think that you as an individual are not subject to something just because you come from a certain family. That I didn't need to repent, that I didn't need to come to Jesus, that I didn't need to go to the process because my last name was Nellis. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your last name is Norton or Stuke or Sherman or Samsvik or Geis or Mitchell or Graham. It doesn't matter if your background is Methodist or Catholic or Evangelical or Presbyterian or, and, or, or Anglican. It doesn't matter if you studied under Talbot or Dallas Theological Seminary or MacArthur or Keller or Grudem or Calvin or Wakeling. None of those keep you from needing to being open to repent, to change, to allow God to do something new. You see, as soon as John started to confront them. They just started doing this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That was their response. They're like, we don't need to change. So, my guess is that there are some areas that we need to change. There's some things that we know are not okay, or that we have been in denial of, that we have been opponents, that we have gone and listened to sermons or gone to classes with a, an opponent mind set, that we pick apart, that we aren't learners. That's a new decision I've made in the last probably like seven or eight years of my life, is I'm going to learn till I die. I'm never going to know so much that I become a teacher. I'm always a fellow learner. And it's so helpful. Keeps me where I need to be, keeps me humble, keeps me open. I encourage you to be a learner, learner for your life. But there were some that did repent. There were some that were looking for answers. There, there were some that were willing. And we have the first one, the general one, says the crowd asks, what should we do? The crowds. And he responds, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. 
Basically, if you have excess and there are those around you in need, give of your excess. I have yet to see a commercial that encourages me to do that. It's all about more. It's all about shoring up. It's all about gathering. Uh, my wife has a friend who used to um, say something out loud when she would go in front of a store where she wanted something. She would go to the store and she would hold up the dress and then out loud she would say, if I only had this dress, then I would be happy. She would do that because she needed to hear herself say that because she knew how ridiculous it was. Because if she just said it in her mind, she might talk herself out of it and then buy it and then have another dress. Raise your hand if you know you have excess. There are people who have needs. John says, if you want to prepare your heart for the work that God is going to do, prepare your heart for the kingdom of heaven, prepare your heart for Jesus, start by giving of your excess to those in need. Then he goes to the tax collectors. It says, even corrupt tax collectors uh, came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Don't exploit people. Don't look for loopholes that give you an advantage that cost others. See, tax collectors, they were assigned by the government, you must get this many taxes. And so the head tax collector would be like, okay, you four guys, you need to make sure that you get me this much money. And they would be like, okay, that sounds good. So let's get that much money and a little bit for ourselves. And we'll just say, we need this much more money. And then they would go to their collectors and say, okay, you guys need to collect this much money, even though it was more than they were told they needed to get. And then the collectors would go out and say, okay, if they do it, we can do it. And so it was this ripple effect where everyone was doing whatever it took to get more, even at the exploitation of others. Do you think a lot of exploitation happens in our world? Children, of people, cultures, all the time. Why? To get more. Don't exploit. It is very much against the heart of God. And then to the soldiers, it says, what should we do? Some soldiers uh, um, asked some soldiers. John replied, don't exhort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. They have positions of power. They could do stuff with their power. They could do stuff in order to get more because in their minds they start the game, right? I don't get paid what I deserve. I don't get paid what I should. Therefore, it's okay if I exploit my position in order to get what I want. He's all, be careful with your power. Do not exploit it. We are all people of power. More than you know, you have a lot of power. Don't exploit it. It's not okay. 
And so John is calling them towards repentance. Because he knew that for them, repenting was necessary ultimately for them to respond to the message of Jesus and receive salvation. They had to be willing to be changed of the way they think and the way they lived if they were to ever embrace Jesus in his ways. It's interesting, the Bible is full of places where people did and didn't repent. You know, what does it take for some? I was just struck in Revelation after all these plagues came, plagues came over, after all these thousands, thousands of people have died after it was made abundantly clear that Jesus was the Christ, was the Lamb of God. It was crystal clear to the world. In chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, it says, but the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn towards God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver and bronze, stone and wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. We are stubborn, stubborn people. I truly believe that the main thing that God looks for when he looks at human beings is for availability. I think that's the thing he looks for more than any. Who's available? Problem is, is there's not very many people who are available. I don't have time. Maybe next month, maybe next week, maybe next year. I'm all booked up. I think what I think. I know what I believe. I stick to my laurels. I am not going to change. I know what's right, and I am right. Instead of, my time is yours, my heart is yours. My mind is yours. Change it however you will. I am yours. We're about to go into a time of response. And I want to encourage you to ask God to start to help you to repent. Because ultimately, and this is the beautiful part of this whole situation, is that God is the one that gives us the ability to repent. It's a gift. It's a gift from God to repent. And so, I want to encourage you to ask God for this. There are certain things in your life that you do not have the power currently to repent over. But God wants to grant you the power to repent, to change your mind about something, to change your ways about something. It's a beautiful thing 
that God is the one who gives us the ability to do the very thing that he asks us to do. But we just have to let it happen. So I want to encourage you maybe to pray a prayer something like this. Maybe you can just close your eyes and hear it. And as pieces of it, if any of it connects with you, to just include yourself in this. If you're like, that's me. Me too. Me too. Jesus, please make me be willing to change. I pray that you'd break down my walls of pride, of insecurity, of fear, of hurt, of resentment, and of doubt. Jesus, I pray that you would cleanse my heart and my mind of the record that I hold of all the wrongs that I've done. I also pray that you would cleanse my heart and my mind of the record of wrongs that I hold that have been done to me. It's just me before you now. I lay it all before you. I am willing. Help my unwillingness. I repent. Help me to repent. I receive your love. Help me to believe that you love me. I pray these things in Jesus. Amen. I want to give you a few minutes to do whatever work you need to do with the Lord. Whatever work it looks like to be like Isaiah, who stood before the throne of God, and after he was cleansed by the coal, the fire of God, he says, here am I. Here am I. that you'd be willing to lay down maybe traditions that you have stuck to stubbornly to a point that has done damage and has kept you from receiving from the Lord. Maybe it's ways of thinking that you are starting to understand or you've been knowing that aren't quite right, but you haven't been able to let them go. And you would allow God to do a work in your heart. We have a song and it's not meant for you to, to sing. It's meant for you to sit in and receive and allow the words to bring to your mind and your heart things that you need to do with the Lord. And if at some point you start to resonate with the song, I just want to encourage you. You can, you can join in with the chorus. You'll hear it enough. You'll get it. But I just really want to encourage you to enter into this time with an openness 
to Jesus.
And the beautiful thing about the ways of Jesus is that ultimately they lead to life. That they are ultimately giving freedom to people who are trapped. That by giving, by by living a corrupt, free life, by not insisting on power, you are actually receiving freedom from the things that bind. And Jesus showed that ultimately on the cross. The thing that confused people, they're like, there's no way this can be part of God's plan. And yet it is the very thing that brought freedom to you and I. And we get to take communion this morning. We get to take communion and to celebrate and remember and, and embrace the upside-down kingdom, the way that Jesus said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. I just think of even in the garden at Gethsemane, there was some level of repentance happening in Jesus where he's just like, God, I need my mind and my heart to be changed because it is hard for me to Accept that this is the way. And you see that moment where he did. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. And so, in the next few minutes, you get to come and, and take communion. The Bible talks about being people that repent before you take communion, and I'm hoping that that has already taken place that you can come instead of focusing on the things that keep you from God, you get to focus on Jesus who brought us close to God and who brings us close to God. That he is the one that you are able to celebrate as we do communion this morning. So we're going to invite you up. We have um, just a little bit of time with some instrumentals, and, and you guys can then... Uh, hold your communion until we will take it all together in a few minutes.